Hello, everyone. I am so glad you're a part of Christ Community. We, we truly are a family that is journeying together to follow Jesus, and I am just grateful to be on this journey with you. We are in the midst of a teaching series from Matthew chapter 5 to 7, where Jesus gives us this vivid picture of what it looks like to live as people of the kingdom of God, to live our lives with Jesus as king, not simply in some ceremonial way, but rather in the most practical of ways, where every area of our lives is surrendered to and aligned with his heart and his values, including areas that are deeply personal to us, which is certainly the case with the passage that we find ourselves in today. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 to 30, Jesus addresses the area of sexuality, our sexual desires. What does it look like for our sexuality to be aligned with Jesus' kingdom? I mean, we're very familiar with the world's perspective on sexuality. It's, it's really quite simple. Follow your desires wherever they lead. Do what feels good to you. Go get your needs met. No moral boundaries. Just do what you want to do. Well, not surprisingly, Jesus has a very different perspective on this topic, and he pulls no punches in articulating it. Here's what he says. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Okay, talk about a conversation stopper, you know, but that's exactly what we need. We need a Savior and King who loves us enough to speak the truth, even when it's hard to hear, because it is the truth that sets us free. Our world is pursuing sexual freedom and yet is increasingly experiencing bondage and brokenness and despair. And unfortunately, far too many of us as Christ followers are getting swept up in the sexual perspective of our culture, and our lives are being torn apart as a result. So let's explore what Jesus says here about kingdom sexuality. Verse 27, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. This is a statement taken directly from the Ten Commandments. In the book of Exodus, Jesus is affirming that adultery is wrong. Now, before we go any further, I want us to understand the backdrop of that statement. In saying that adultery is wrong, Jesus is also affirming that sex within marriage is right. It is good. It is a blessing from God. Too often the message or vibe given off from the church is that sex is dirty. Sex is bad. We should be ashamed of our sexual desires. And so, so then in the church and in our Christian families, we tend to be silent about sex or, or only talk about what not to do. But then in our culture, sex is talked about and on display everywhere and is celebrated. Now, here's the irony of that. Our culture acts like they invented sex, but they didn't. God did. Our culture acts like they are the experts on sex, but they're not. I mean, if you, God is the expert on sex, right? I mean, if you wanted to know the best way to use some new technology, would you go to the person who invented that technology or would you go to some guy in his basement who hacked into it? See, the expert on sex is the one who invented it. 
the one who created us as sexual beings. And we know that guy personally. He has given us in the Bible his expert advice on sexuality. And if you read Genesis chapter 2 or you read the book of Song of Solomon, you realize God is not ashamed of sexuality. He gave it to us as a very precious and enjoyable gift with a very powerful purpose. The expressing of love within a covenant relationship. That's what makes sex so powerful. It literally creates a one flesh union between two people. And when those two people have committed themselves to each other for life, for better, for worse, richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, sex becomes this beautiful and powerful expression of oneness and love. God knew exactly what he was doing when he created sex. He was creating this experience in which the love between two people gets, gets solidified. It gets super glued. Sex is not just a biological, physiological act. It is the uniting of two souls in a powerful, spiritual connection. But our society doesn't get this. Our society wants us to believe that by emphasizing freedom and making hookups so easy and accessible just by an app on your phone, they want us to believe that, that, that somehow they are elevating sex to its proper place. But it's actually the opposite. They're cheapening, cheapening it. They, they're taking filet mignon and treating it like a McDonald's value meal. They're taking a Van Gogh painting and hanging it in a closet. They're taking something that God created as a beautiful and powerful and sacred expression of selfless, committed love, and they're treating it like a convenience store transaction. See, for all of us here, for all of us who are watching here, when it comes to our sexuality, we have to decide who we're going to listen to, whose perspective we're going to align our lives with, the world's perspective or Jesus' perspective. That decision has huge ramifications, which brings us back to Jesus' statement about adultery. Why is adultery wrong? Not because God wants to spoil our fun. Adultery is wrong because it damages this sacred covenant between a husband and a wife who have committed themselves to each other for life and have given themselves sexually to each other as an expression of that commitment. Adultery is an act of betrayal, rejection, devaluing our spouse and the covenant we have with them as we choose to satisfy our sexual desires with another person. So that's where Jesus begins, by affirming that adultery is wrong. But he doesn't stop there. Verse 28, But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. See, Jesus suddenly expands adultery to include things going on in our heart, in our mind, things that maybe no one else knows about. Okay, so let's look in more detail at what he's talking about. The, the word, this word translated lustfully is a Greek word that literally means over-desire. It, it, it means to strongly desire something, a passionate desire. Jesus is not talking about noticing sexual beauty or being sexually attracted to someone. We'd have to have blindfolds over our eyes to not notice sexual attractiveness and to not have any neurological response to that. 
Jesus is not saying get rid of your sexual desires, don't acknowledge them, don't ever notice anyone who's sexually attractive. No, no, that would be impossible. And it would make us less human. Again, we are sexual beings. God created us this way. Well, what Jesus is strongly warning against, warning against is when our noticing and acknowledging becomes a longing for, a desire to have. As Jesus points out, this is something that happens in our heart. There's, there's like a shift that happens. It's like we cross a line from appreciation to wanting. We stare, we start to fantasize. We envision in our mind this person without clothes on or with pornography. All of that information is provided for us visually. And looking at porn, this desire is awakened and it takes over. We, we are now beyond the point of appreciation. We now want this person. We are now eager and ready to use them to satisfy our own desires. They become nothing more than an object to us, something to use for our own gratification. Now, the world tells us that this kind of lust is not a big deal, that no one gets hurt. But that's not what Jesus says. Look at verse 30. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. I talked about this last week, but I want to mention it again because it is so important. This word translated hell is actually a literal geographic location outside of Jerusalem. It's a place called Gehenna, where garbage and carcasses were burned. The warning Jesus gives here is not, hey, don't lust because on judgment day, you're going to be sentenced to hell. That doesn't fit with our understanding of the gospel. We are not saved by our works. We're not saved by our avoiding lust. We are saved by Christ alone. So what is Jesus saying here? He's warning us about the destruction that lust creates in our lives now. Lust is like a fiery garbage dump where the things we hold dear will get destroyed. I could spend the next hour giving scientific and psychological and sociological research about the damage that lust and pornography cause in our lives and in our relationships. But the reality is, I think deep down, we know the damage that lust causes. Whether you're a teenage boy or girl struggling with this compulsion to look at porn, or you're a husband trying to keep your porn habit a secret, or you're a wife who feels betrayed and hurt by your husband's habit, or you're a parent trying to figure out how to help protect your children from porn, or maybe you've experienced sexual abuse from a person who was addicted to porn and used you to satisfy their urges. Men, women, young, old, all of us have been or are, are being impacted by lust and pornography. Internet porn is a $10 billion industry and it targets children and young people so as to create more lifelong users to gain more money. A friend of mine told me how his 11-year-old child was targeted via Facebook Messenger, someone just sending them a message, and, and suddenly they found themselves on an internet porn site, 11 years old. That's the average age of being exposed to porn. Imagine the impact of that on a child's life who at that age gets pulled into all of that. 
more and more scientific research is revealing how porn literally rewires our brain. And by releasing dopamine at high levels, it creates an addiction as powerful as heroin. The accessibility of porn and the, and, and, and the inherent secrecy of porn have created this perfect storm where more and more people, men and women, are pulled into its web. Porn use fosters an objectifying of people. It fosters an isolation, a lack of motivation to pursue relationships. We withdraw into ourselves more and more. It also creates unrealistic expectations about sexual intimacy and marriage, where sex is all about what we can get rather than about genuine love. Porn makes sex all about performance, which not only derails our ability to perform, it also undermines what makes sexual intimacy and marriage so beautiful. It's about giving to our spouse, bringing them pleasure. Porn use creates this cycle of self-centered demands, which, which results in relational distance. It stunts our ability to have loving, healthy relationships. I mean, no wonder a recent survey of divorce lawyers revealed that porn use is one of the top reasons why couples get divorced today. I mean, here's the irony. Porn promises us satisfaction and freedom and fun, but it actually leaves us with a deadness in our soul, a, a distance in our relationships, a stranglehold on our will, and a boatload of guilt and shame that keep us distancing ourselves from God. Lust robs us of our passion for God and for life. I mean, those are just a few of the negative impacts of porn on its users. But what about the impacts on the victims of porn? The incredible hurt and betrayal and abuse that it ends up inflicting on spouses and children and other innocent victims. Lust is fueling the horrible practices of sex trafficking and date rape and the whole porn industry that objectifies people It's contributing more and more to divorce and thus the breaking up of families and the impact that has on children. Jesus' description of lust being a fiery Gehenna garbage dump is so accurate. It has the power to destroy all that we hold dear and all that we cherish. It has the power to damage and dehumanize people, including ourselves, which leads us to this question, okay, what do we do about it? How do we break free from lust? If we're caught in this cycle, pulled towards it, how do we break free from lust and the damage that it causes in our lives? Well, I want you to know that there is hope. No matter how deep your struggle, no matter how ashamed you feel, there is a pathway to freedom. But it does require a particular posture that Jesus clearly articulates In this passage, look with me again at verse 29. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Jesus is very clear. Because lust is such a destructive and compulsive force, 
it has to be dealt with decisively, not passively. We need to take serious action to remove and cut out lust from our lives. Now, Jesus' language here is quite vivid. If your eye causes you to stumble in this area, get rid of it. In other words, get serious about removing this from your life. We are not to coddle it. We are not to act like it's no big deal because everyone does it. Jesus says, cut it off, gouge it out, throw it away. I mean, I feel like this whole passage is a wake-up call to us as Christ followers to bring our sexuality under the control of Jesus. Are we willing to get serious about this and to do what it takes to remove this cancer from our lives and our homes? So let's get, get even more specific and talk about a few crucial action steps in us getting serious about removing lust from our lives. And, and let me just say that even if you don't personally struggle with lust, these steps are helpful information so that you can help others in your life who are struggling. Maybe your, your children or friends or whatever who are struggling. All right, first critical action step, bring it out of hiding. Bring it out of hiding. Lust thrives in secret. It fuels and feeds our isolation. We're always trying to hide it, to keep it a secret from our spouse or from others. And so the first step in dealing with lust is to bring it out of the shadows, bring it into the light. Now, look, I, I know this may feel terrifying. We're, we're afraid of admitting failure, being embarrassed. I get it. Our, our fears keep us from bringing this into the light, but it's, it is only in the light that we can actually deal with it, that we can actually experience healing. We cannot overcome this on our own. We need others in this battle with us. So bring your struggle out of hiding. Tell someone that you trust and that can help you, a friend, your parents, a youth leader, a Christian counselor, your spouse. The more we keep it in hiding, the more it will eat our lunch. I can remember as a teenager and then a college student struggling with porn, and, but I was so afraid to tell someone I remember playing tennis with some older Christian guys on Saturday morning after having blown it on Friday night. And my heart so wanted to share with one of them my struggle, but I didn't have the courage to do that. I struggled in secret for a long time. See, what, what, I, what I've discovered since then is that when we bring it out of hiding, it takes so much of the power out of it. I'm in a small group with a few other men, and we're being honest about the things we struggle with, and it has been so life-giving. Wherever you are in this struggle, if you're a teenager, a college student, if you're single or married, don't keep it a secret. Bring it into the light. Share it with a trusted friend. Get into a small group where you can share openly and honestly. We have tons of small groups here at Christ Community, even some focused specifically on this issue. A second action step, once we bring it into the light, is to explore your desires. Explore your desires. Lust is a longing. It's a desire. That, that, that's what this word in Matthew literally means. We talked about that a moment ago. And, and we often think this longing is a longing for sex, but often it's not. Our lust and escaping into porn are often ways to try and satisfy some other thirst in our life. A longing for love a longing for connection, a longing to feel accepted, 
a longing for control or for intimacy. Sometimes porn becomes a way to numb the pain of our loneliness or our feelings of rejection or our fear. So if we want to truly experience freedom from lust, we need to explore what we're really thirsty for when we look to porn. Once we identify that, we can then pursue that longing in healthy ways. As we allow Jesus' love and healing into those places, we, ex we can experience greater freedom and healing. I recently started reading a book by Jay Stringer called Unwanted, How Sexual Brokenness Reveals Our Way to Healing. It's a, it's a, it's a counterintuitive way to look at our struggle. Rather than seeing our struggle through the lens of failure and shame, what if we viewed it through the lens of curiosity? And we asked this question, okay, what am I really thirsty for when I wanna look at porn? What do I really want? Because porn is not giving us what our soul really longs for. Now, by the way, that book that I just mentioned, as well as several other resources are on a list that we have put together to help in our struggle in this area. The list includes counselors and support groups we have in our church and podcasts and books and various things. There are also resources on that list for those who've experienced the trauma of sexual abuse. So you can find that resource list on our app under the more tab, and then just go to the need help section and you can find that resource there. The third action step, we need to establish guardrails. Establish guardrails. When Jesus says, gouge it out, cut it off, he's talking about taking specific action that would actually remove these things from our lives, that re would remove from our lives these things that make us vulnerable to giving in to lust. See, a guardrail is something put up ahead of time that keeps us from driving off the road over a cliff. I mean, if we know that we're vulnerable to this, or our children are vulnerable to this, what guardrails do we need to put in place in our lives or in our home? For me personally, I have several guardrails that I have put in place because I know my vulnerability in this area. I have the Covenant Eyes filter on my phone and my computer. We, we have put a passcode on our Roku, Netflix, YouTube app on our television, and Raylene is the one who has the passcode. Honestly, it's kind of embarrassing to admit that, but I just know my vulnerability. It is better for me to put some guardrails in place to protect me in vulnerable moments. Yeah, it's, it's humbling, but for me, it's so worth it. I don't like what lust does in my life, and so I need filters and guardrails. For some of us, our pride is the problem. We don't want to admit we're struggling. We don't want others controlling things or knowing the things we're looking at. Our pride is actually keeping us in bondage to lust. Is it worth that? Is it worth it? Now for the parents here, obviously we need to be super vigilant about this with our kids. To give them a smartphone or a computer without any filters or screen time restrictions, or to have no restrictions on our television at home or in their bedroom, that's like giving them a 24-7 access pass to the most vile porn on the planet. And it's not just about filters on our kids' phones. It's about talking openly about these things. 
sharing your own struggles, talking about the things, even his message, praying with them, being in, being in the battle with them. Now, look, I know as a parent, I know it's hard to talk about, but you know what? If we don't talk about it, guess where they're going to get their information? Guess who they're going to talk to? They're going to get their information about these things from friends, from peers, from the internet. And not only that, if we don't talk about it, it will be put in hiding, right? It will stay in hiding. And as we talked about a moment ago, we all know what happens when this area of our lives becomes a secret. So we got to talk about it as parents. We got to talk about it with our kids. Now, there's one more crucial action step in our getting rid of lust in our lives. That's, that's this one. Keep running to the cross. Keep running to the cross. In our, in our sexual struggles and brokenness, we need to always remember that Jesus is with us and he is for us. You know, Satan is such a slime ball. I mean, think about this. He tempts us to give in to lust, right? And then if we do give in to lust, lust, he pounds us with shame and accusation on the other side. Oh, God couldn't possibly love you after what you've done. I mean, Satan relentlessly tries to use shame to keep us from accessing and living in the grace and mercy of Jesus. Satan wants us to stay away from God. He wants us to. And the way he does that is by just stirring in our heart this idea that in our mind that God is disappointed in us and God wants nothing to do with us, all of which are total lies. The cross of Christ declares to us that Jesus' mercy and grace are always available to us. No matter how badly we've messed up sexually, no matter how many times we've failed, I mean, check out this passage from Hebrews chapter 4, where we see Jesus' heart posture towards us. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Wow, that is so powerful. I love that. We are to approach the throne of grace, not cowering in shame and condemnation, groveling before God, declaring what horrible failures we are. No, we are to approach the throne of grace with confidence, not confidence in ourselves, but in our Savior who died on the cross for our forgiveness and who rose from the dead, giving us fresh, new power to walk in freedom from our lust and our sin. Friends, you and I are not alone in this battle. We have an incredible Savior who understands our struggle and who walks with us and forgives us and loves us and strengthens us so that we can experience his freedom and life. And let me also say that this cross is also available for those of you who are victims of the damage that lust causes. Perhaps you have experienced the feelings of betrayal and rejection from your spouse's struggle with porn, or maybe you've experienced the trauma of sexual abuse. 
or of unwanted sexual advances or sexual comments made by someone at work or a family member. And I just want you to know that God's heart breaks with you. He sees your pain and wants to draw near to you in that pain. He wants you to know and experience his love and his healing. While lust unleashes the fires of Gehenna in our lives, the cross of Christ unleashes something even more powerful, the power of forgiveness, the power of love, the power of freedom, the power of healing. Let's pray. So as we quiet our hearts, I'm I'm sure that this message has probably stirred up all sorts of things in our hearts and our minds. And I want to encourage us to invite Jesus into those places. What is he saying to you? What is Jesus saying to you? For those who struggle with lust and pornography, what would it look like to bring this out of hiding and share it with a trusted friend? Jesus, we pray for the courage to do that. We pray as well for discernment as we explore our desires and we explore what we're really thirsty for. Open our eyes to see that. And God, I also want to pray for us that we would have the humility to put up guardrails in our lives where we feel vulnerable, that we would have the ability to admit to the people around us, we need their help in this. We need these guardrails, filters or whatever. Help us in that area. Have the courage, the humility to do that. Show us where guardrails are needed. And, and I also pray for those of us who struggle, I pray we would run to the cross regularly and we would confess our need for forgiveness and for your love and for your power. Holy Spirit, fill us in this area. Now, Jesus, I also want to pray for those who have experienced betrayal trauma, rejection, sexual abuse because of another person's lust. I pray for healing, for your love to be poured out in those places of brokenness and self-hatred and anger. I pray for them to have the courage to reach out and receive help in their journey. Lord Jesus, we bring our sexuality before you. In fact, I want to just take a moment and just give us a moment to do that. Your eyes are closed. Let's just bring this part of our being, our sexuality before the Lord and consecrate it to him. Just offer it to him. Jesus, we pray for cleansing, for wholeness, for healing, for power. We truly surrender to you. We want you to be king of every area of our lives, including this one. 
So we thank you for your love, for your forgiveness, for your grace and mercy to help us in our time of need. We do need you. So right now, I want to lead us in a, an opportunity to receive the Lord's Supper. If you need to go grab some elements for this, feel free to hit pause. But if you have the elements there, then let's partake together. First of all, grab the bread. This bread represents Jesus' body that was given for us. He endured the nails in his physical body for us. Jesus, thank you for experiencing brokenness. And we bring to you our brokenness. And thank you that you meet us in this place. And so right now we eat this bread in remembrance of you. Now we take the juice or the wine, whatever you have there. And we remember that this juice or wine, it represents Jesus' blood that was shed for us for the forgiveness of our sins. There is cleansing and forgiveness in the cross. No matter what we've done, there is forgiveness in the cross. And so as we partake of this, let's remember the blood that Jesus shed and let's receive his complete forgiveness. So drink this in remembrance of him. Jesus, thank you for being such an amazing Savior who loves us, who meets us in our places of brokenness, and yet you call us to something better. You call us to freedom and wholeness and life. So we love you. We ask you to fill us now and help us walk in the life that you have for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.